Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Tonight's special guest, episode 49. 49 episodes, we're one more away from 50. Pretty cool. Um, it's been a while since we've been on the air. Tonight's guest is Phil Jamison from Matchless Amplifiers. Phil, how are you? I am amazing. Thank you for asking. Awesome. And thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing. We're, we're uh, honored to have you on, man. Uh, and Dave, what's going on with you? Well, not too much. Just getting back in the swing of things, back from Sweetwater, but so are you. Yeah, it's been it's been a long week, <laughs> you know. Yeah, a short like, week. Yeah, it's short. Like week. I, well, I got in on Sunday, and then boom, it was like back to work, you know. Yeah, I didn't get back to Monday night, so that's why it seems short for me. <laughs> but I work tomorrow too, so hey, you know. Oh, there you go. See, I'm off tomorrow. Hey, we got Sean Tubbs, first in the house. Oh, that's cool. Me. What's up, Sean? Hello, uh, Sean Tubbs. Yes, it was good seeing Sean. I saw Sean at met him finally at um, at Sweetwater Gear Fest, so that was cool. You know, it was good good to see him. I know he was busy at the Rev booth. Yeah, he's a killer player. Really, all great. those people running through that Rev booth. Yeah. Hey, there were a lot of people. A slide on the Rev booth. It just like there wasn't that many people running through a lot of booths. Well, they were in the back. It was kind of, you know, like they were in the back of of you guys, so it was kind of hard to find. Yeah, exactly. That's but. where I would go from peace and solitude. <laughs> yeah, definitely make it quiet. Here, our booth right next door, which was just the magazines on a table. <laughs> yeah, you should have. Did you go over to the drum drum place? Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I subjected myself to that, so. Uh, well, you're yeah, but you're a drummer first, so. <laughs> yeah, I, but you know, like even I didn't want to get on or anything. It's not like I wanted to play, but um. So so matchless amplifiers. I'm uh I'm so intrigued with with those amps because I've I've been seeing them since, probably it's like the eight the eighties late eighties. Uh, well, it was founded in eighty nine by um, Mark Sampson and Rick Parada, um. And uh, they made just just a few amps, you know, right around 89, uh, 90. And most of that was in uh, Rick Parada's house. He was like one of the, uh, basically the, the producer of, of Matchless. It, it was sort of Mark's ideas and concepts of circuits and what people were looking for. And Rick uh, was the one who executed it and sort of made it that matchless quality that, you know, made it w what it is, you know, with uh, the chassis, uh, the layouts, the, the parts. Um, that was that was kind of his call on that. And um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and then right around late 1991, it really kind of saw a nice uh spike you know it seemed like the the digital processed thing got really big in the late 80s with the racks <laughs> thank you dave friedman and uh <laughs> i didn't start and and then I, it, it just seemed like it kind of like things sort of went full circle 
you know, eventually, and uh, and people kind of went back to combos and uh, and real amps and um, you know, and they needed stuff that was reliable out on the road and sounded great in the studio, and that's where Matchless really filled in, and um, and uh, you know, like kind kind of kind of filled in a space that really wasn't there before yeah as far as the boutique amp thing goes and they've always been hand wired right they've always been point, yeah oh point, yeah 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 so it's always been a high-end early ones really look like a rat's nest i mean and, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of like hodgepodge of parts just kind of whatever they could get and then uh uh, I actually started in late 92, thanks to Dave Friedman right there. Do you even remember that? <sighs> yeah, that's what I thought. That, that was a lot of, yeah, a lot of years ago. Um, uh, I was in between jobs. I just yeah. left another amp company, and, uh, and Dave said, I was over at his house, and he said, uh, Hey, I was just talking to one of the guys at Matchless, and they're they're looking for for people, you know, who who can build. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah, and uh, I made a phone call and went over and interviewed uh, Rick and Mark, and they would basically pulled a chair out at a desk and <laughs> said, "There, go." And jeez, uh, I mean, now here we are in 2019. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. You guys go way back. Yeah. Oh, well, way the, back. Uh, the uh, DC-30 is still one of the classic amps. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic amp. Great and amp. I've, oh. I've actually refined it quite a bit with layout and then using some different parts that made the, the amps quieter with, with less white noise. There's less hums, less field noise going on um and uh it's been a great improvement but it changed uh the effects loops from the trs to to just standard quarter inch send return yay (laughs) yeah and moved and moved some things around and i and i tell you that the very first chassis that i built like that I was like, "Oh shit! I'm not getting any signal. There's no sound. There's there's no nothing." And I made the mistake of strumming a chord while the amp was just full wide open and about knocked me through the wall. And I was like, "Hey, I think we we finally improved the DC30 uh, after all that time." But uh, but I was also kind of painted into a corner with the layouts. Um, at that time, it was really only structured to just be one kind of amp. And then so now uh, I developed it with reverb, um, and I can kind of cross-pollinate like a lot of different models and different uh, different things with that one chassis, so I'm not just kind of stuck with one thing. And having to modify and cut into you know 14 gauge cold roll steel is not a fun day 
And um, so I don't have to do that anymore. And it's it's all like laid out perfectly. So especially like if you take a nap right now to this day, um, they're stunning side by side comparison with the uh, with, with the older ones. So they've it's you know it's it's a new thing. Cool. Yeah, it sounds good. Great. So, sounds awesome. So, um, speaking of new things, you were telling us right before we went online. Yes, uh, I've got a new six V six amp. Um, this first one, it's uh, it's just a twenty twenty watts two six V sixes, five AR four uh, tube rectifier, and all twelve AX sevens, uh, and it's called Laurel Canyon, um, and it was sort of a uh, the, my conceptual idea was capturing that old scene of the the early Laurel Canyon days when, you know, all those early greats were down there. You know, your Jackson Browns, the Eagles, Joni Mitchell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And, Hang on one second, guys. I'm yeah, here. sure. And they would they would hang and. And just just jam, you know, and it and it became a, a whole like scene. So uh, when I was developing this, I wanted something to sort of kind of fit in, you know, that that genre. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it is probably one of my best amps that that I think I've ever built. Uh, the amount of dynam- d- dynamics and uh, and the this, the sparkle to it, the uh, the harmonic overtones are you know, just incredible. Which you know, yes, I set out to do that, but I I it, it basically I swung the bat and hit a grand slam home run with my eyes closed. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, that's awesome. Truly fantastic amp. So, like you said, it's twenty yeah, watts. Yeah, it's 20 watts. We're doing our smaller combos and a slightly smaller cab as well. So uh, we'll be doing all the all the 15 watt amps. All of the Laurel Canyons will have the, the slightly more narrow um, uh, combo cab. Uh, the ones that I was doing before uh, with the Lightning, I. I I could interchange the front baffles between a 210 okay, or 112. So if somebody wanted to switch those two things, we could just do it and it'd be super easy, no problem. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we get maybe two, you know, 210 requests like every six months. Yeah. So, uh, so I wanted just something a little more portable something you could you know practically put in the front seat of your car and uh, and still be a very loud roadworthy you know uh amp mm-hmm. and it, it nailed a lot of different things so one of the coolest things is uh it really nails a lot of the uh early rolling stone sounds um mm-hmm. it's got some some David Gilmore, Pink Floyd kind of vibe going on with it as well, and um, yeah, I just I, I couldn't be happier with it. I've actually, I, if you can see, oh yeah, uh, yeah, 
There it is. Oh, cute. Yeah. Small. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Still heavy is still matchless heavy. (laughs) But but a lot of that has to do with Celestion. So I I, I blame them and their their speakers. (laughs) I'm using a a Heritage uh, G12H30. Yeah, that's heavy. Big magnet. Yeah, it's a big magnet. So, and, uh,. Yeah, so it's uh, it's almost fifty pounds. It's just shy of fifty. Wow. Yeah, it's for, for twenty watts. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you going to offer it in a head and a head too? Yes, definitely uh, a head, and I'm also going to offer it in a in a bigger version with four six V sixes, and uh, we'll also be getting into six L six as well, and then uh, uh, maybe some like eighty watt. Uh, might bring back the Super Chief, might bring back the C85, um, but those are extremely time-consuming amps, and sometimes by the time you're done with building something with all the wiring that goes into it, you know, you're three or four days into building an amp, and, you know, you've basically just kind of gone sideways, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Right. That's cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah. That sounds exciting. I'd like to hear some sound yeah. clips when you get ready. Yes. Yeah. I'll probably do the sound clips here in my studio. Um, I'm using some some really good Royer uh, 121s, 122V, um, and uh, and I'll throw maybe a Sure 57 on it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we'll have some sound clips real soon. Very cool. Yeah. So how yeah. did you how did you get into uh, the amp amp building? Well, uh, I started out as a guitar player, and um, and amen, that was amen to really, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you drinking, Dave? I had coffee. <laughs> oh yeah. Water is enough. What are you I'm drinking? Malibu rum. Malibu mm-hmm. rum. Oh, good, good. You see, you're prepared. Um, yeah. Friends don't like friends. Drink Malibu rum. <laughs> well, Dave, it came with a dress, and uh, and and blackberries. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so someone made you with a drink from Malibu. <laughs> no, no, no. I I I made it, but well, no, you, I, so what you're saying is you were wearing a dress while you. Made I was it. wearing a dress when I made it. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, it should it should come with an umbrella. Well. I swear to God, Dave. As much as you and I drank, Dave and I, we, we were we were roommates a little bit back in what ninety one, ninety. Yeah, 91? back then. Yeah, sure. Back then, I, you you everyone should have invested in like alcohol and beer back when me and Dave were. We drank a lot. I like all of a sudden, like I saw these old pictures of us and like all these memories came flooding back, you know, I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really good drinks. Um, no, but, but for, for like, you, you know, and that was 20 years old or something. Yeah, like, exactly. 90 or something. Yeah. We were oh, like, hey, what do 20 year old kids do? Drink. Exactly. Yeah. Drink. Well, now Drink. they, now they also smoke. They smoke a lot too. But uh, yeah, that's cool. So I can't even remember the last time I smoked. 
Oh, that's Will, a Willie Nelson offered me a joint, and and I said, you know, dude, I honestly I, I cannot remember the last time I smoked. And he goes, well, it must have been some really good weed then. <laughs> <laughs> I like that's a go. good line. That's yeah. a good line. It's funny. It's it's legal here in L.A. or California, and I just I just couldn't care less. Yeah, you can smell it's it everywhere so, in L.A. So ironic. Don't look but, at me, I never smoked, so. Yeah, you never did. I remember that. No. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I got my start as a guitarist and then uh, went to MI. I moved from a small town in Texas in 1988 and moved straight to Hollywood, went to MI. Um, and then uh, Andy Brower had given some seminars there at the school and uh which i dave, believe i was there dave was there and so uh i just showed up there one day and um and said you know hey are you are you looking for anybody and he was kind of like yeah thanks but no thanks kid and uh and then all of a sudden one morning he called me and said one of my guys was a no-show and uh and we need to load in Steve Lukather. You know, can you do it? So I was like, yeah, sure. And ironically, I had just met Steve Lukather at a club probably five hours prior to this phone call. Wow. And uh, and then when I show up at Conway with his gear, he looked at me and he goes, dude, <laughs> like, what the hell? And... Uh, so that kind of snowballed, and I really just wanted to learn more about tone to better myself as a guitarist. And, you know, I mean, I was decent, but at that time when I was working at Brower, uh, I mean, I was I was teching or, you know, doing that for Lukather, um, Tim Pierce, Dean Parks, Peter Frampton, and and I'm watching some of these sessions and and it was like watching the best of the best of the best, you know, in that field. And it was just like that was a big eye opener of the reality of breaking into to that scene. I mean as a guitar I, player. I got to yeah. see yeah, I got to see on a on a first hand the top echelon level. Yeah. You know, and and guys like Dean Parks and Tim Pierce were, you know, we were loading them into like three sessions a day. You know, we'd we'd load up their gear at 6 a.m. and we'd be done literally at at 11 p.m. at night. Dave, you too? You were uh, were involved in that? Well, just delivering their, you know, being a a waiter and Mm. delivering their stuff. Dave you know, uh, it taught me the ropes, uh, back then. And I think by then you were kind of more done with the Brower scene and, and more doing, uh, uh involved with making music and. Yeah. That would have been early nineties. Yeah. 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 I'd already been doing Carter since 88 or late. Right. Or right. Right. I did that for two or three years or something. And then, so Dave, if, 
if you sort of maybe, maybe not remember, uh, I, I don't even know if it's true. I just believed it's true that Andy told me that I replaced Matt Brook, who then went to go work for Ed, uh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so, funny. yeah. Funny. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, that's going way back. And unfortunately, I made the mistake of showing Matt my my Eddie Van Halen guitar that I built. And uh, <laughs> why he was like, "Hey, buy he get get the official he, one." He, he didn't like it. Really? But it's, yeah. it was it was funny too. You know, it's like I'd been to his old apartment, you know, because his roommate was at Brower, and and I had replaced him at Brower when he go when he went to work for Ed. And I'm at Henson with Van Halen recording their their last album, and uh, and I was like, hey, you know, and I'm telling them all that, and and I'd met him at Dave Friedman's house a couple of times, and mm -hmm. uh, remember he came over to borrow a Variac during a Super Bowl Sunday, you know, that must have been like '91. Yeah, you, you have. Uh, oh, do, I have. I have crazy, crazy near, memory. Near photographic memory. Uh -huh. uh, so, uh, yeah. So I'm telling them all this, and and I'm like, yeah, here, you know, check 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 out the guitar, and yeah, that that was that was that wasn't good. <laughs> he didn't. I'm like, dude, I'm not freaking selling these things. I'm running Matchless. I'm, I'm like, he he, Eddie Van Halen inspired me. Mm -hmm. to to be where I'm at, you know, in my whole life. And, uh, you know, I, I got to go up to his house probably a dozen times. I actually played on the uh, the, the Steinberger 5150 guitar. Oh, wow, man. There in I... his studio, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, and I, I actually got to be really good friends with Andy Johns. So he was up there a lot recording different people and... For whatever reason, Andy and I just hit it off. And, you know, it was like I, I was all of 19, 20 years old, standing on Eddie Van Halen's driveway. And at like midnight, Andy Johns is telling me stories about Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and, uh -huh. you know, all these. I mean, it was just like I... I, I, I could have died in a car crash right after that and and <laughs> life would have been okay yeah like it was it was it was great and he was he was always so nice to me you know every every studio I ever saw him in he was he was very cool cat so how did you but, how'd you first meet you know Ed I'm curious uh go, literally how I met him was I, I went up to his the old address to do a delivery and he drove out in a hot rod to come around and get me. It was that red Ford hot rod, like a 38 or something. Hmm. And when that car drove near you, the earth shook. It, it was just, just nothing but raw power. And, uh, and he's like, Hey man, you're at the wrong address. And so we pull in and we're chatting a little bit on the driveway and, and, uh, yeah, he was, he was very cool. And, uh, at that time for unlawful carnal knowledge had just came out Man. and that was a concert, um, me and you went to Dave at, uh, Irvine. Yeah. And yeah. Probably, do you remember that? That, yep. Mm -hmm. 
the, the unfortunate thing about that concert was it was like this JBL sound system and everything just sounded synthetic. It it was not 1984 Van Halen. It just no, it, it did, didn't sound good. It I sounded I like distinctly remember that. It just like sounded like a 80 over tied harmonizers all going at once on. It just it just didn't sound right. Mm. But but I've seen him I've seen him since and um, yeah I mean he's he's the man I mean he is guys like like him uh, and uh, David Gilmore were literally like the guys and and even uh, Robbie Blunt you know who played with with Robert Plant oh, he's great mm-hmm. those were the guys who like that's 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 what I wanted you know I'd, I'd listen to uh, you know, wish you were here. And that was what I wanted to be. And, and I knew it early on. Um, and surprisingly enough, uh, the Cars album, Candio, that was, that was a really big inspirational uh, thing for me. That because so different uh, of that time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was like futuristic. It's like now you listen to it and, you know, I mean, it's 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 a dated, but but that's only because it's 2019. It's not 1978 anymore. But uh, but th- that that album had a really big impact on on me, and like that that's where I wanted to go. You know, in in life and mm-hmm. uh, shit. You know, small kid from a Texas town. You know, I I I'm sort of here. Yeah, you know, you're in LA. You met a bunch of people. Got to meet, meet some great people and work with some great people, and you know, it's it's the the weirdest thing. You know, I uh, I one day was sitting at home watching The Simpsons, and my telephone rings, and it was Lou Reed calling me. You know, at at my house, and and I'm just like, this is this is just weird. You know, <laughs> uh. Eagles were were a huge uh, part of of me me a studying like as a songwriter because because I do I do write um, studying Don Henley but uh, you know but just the Eagles in general was was a very big influence and um, one day uh, my my kid my uh, he. He was on a little league baseball team and the coach calls and I'd been, I'd been helping coach the team, you know, all throughout the season and the coach calls and he says, Hey, I've got a family emergency. I need you to coach the game today. So I'm like, yeah, no problem. Mm. You know, and I go to his house, get all the stuff. I get to the field and Glenn Fry is standing right there and I'm like, hey, and he's all, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, my kid's on your team. <laughs> and I go, well, I've got to coach this game. Do you want to? Do you want to help me? I mean, please. And he's like, hell yeah. So, it's like, I mean, how many places in the world can you can you coach a little league baseball game with freaking Glenn Fry? Yeah. You know. The, the guy awesome. was was like my my hero. I mean, you know, from a tiny little kid growing up, and uh, did you take you, know, you had to hand you had to hand him a card, right? You're like, hey. Oh out. well, 
<laughs> you know, I, I didn't get pushy, but at, at the time I, I was I was driving a, a Buick and and he was very impressed that that I was driving a, a Detroit car. And he, and he mentioned that oh. so he was he was happy about that. That's Probably Detroit made in China. But, you know, we <laughs> we won't go there. Hey, but, actually, uh, there's, a, there's a cool question here um, from yeah. Earth, Earthshine402 says, where did the name Matchless come from? It was originally uh, from the British Motorcycle Company, and so they they wanted the idea to be something without equal. Hmm. So okay, that's that's where it came from. That makes total sense now. Before yeah. I I I, ne I had no clue. So yeah. No, we actually had the motorcycle uh, posters like all over the factory in, uh, God, mid-90s. We've gone through a lot of changes, you know, through, throughout the years. Mm -hmm. um, that first shop that I worked in where where Dave, Dave was like, hey, you know, give him a call. Um, when I walked into that place, it was such a shithole. I literally almost started crying. It, it was so bad. It was so bad. It was like this, like, it was almost like a car garage. And, uh, and in North Hollywood, I mean, Dave knows the summers are like 115 in the winters, you know, it, it, it would get to be like, like, you know, 40, you, you could blow smoke, you know, just sitting at your desk cause it was so cold in there. Um, and then so we did that for a few years and then they sold the company to us music um and then we moved on to anaheim so my my commute went from literally three minutes to oh. like two hours oh. and then and then i wound up moving down to the south bay and just commuting to anaheim for a few years and then and then after that, we got moved into Santa Fe Springs, and that was a fantastic building. I, I love that that place, and um, it was basically uh, Rick Parada was managing a bunch of the companies and 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 Matchless, and I was running all the production lines and doing and trained all the workers, and and then did all the the QC stuff. Um, and then, uh, geez, by like mid-96, uh, Mark had got the company back, bought it from U.S. Music. Uh, Rick left, uh, unfortunately. And, um, and then we were bankrupt by 98. And, you know, we all, we all like lost everything. So reopened in 2000 and, and the uh, investors who they they knew how you know matchless was ran and they knew what was going on uh basically from soup to nuts you know really super smart people uh and once they figured that out uh i got a phone call uh right in the middle of when i started doing jameson amps and uh i you know, I had built probably 15 by then, and I got the call, hey, we want to reopen, and we want you to come in and run 
all the production, all the operations. Um, and, uh, and then literally the next day I got probably 30 orders for Jameson amps. I mean, it was, it was just weird coincidence. Um, hmm. but I went ahead and took the matchless job and that, that was 19 years ago. Wow. Yeah, so in 2000 and you're still in business. Woo! Knock on wood. Knock on yeah, wood. There's a little part you skipped. You you, uh, yeah, so you went from the Browers cartage, and then what? <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna open that can of worms. I, I I after Brower, I I went and worked at VHT. Uh, and then something after that. No, VHT was straight to uh, Matchless. Mm, top hat. Top Hat was way later. Top Hat was after Matchless went out. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. No, Top Hat. Top Hat. Uh, I I just I was there to kind of consult. Uh, after looking at how uh, stuff was done, uh, I helped them out, uh, and that lasted maybe five or six months. Um, I think that the greatest thing that ever happened with Top Hat was one, it showed me that I can do it too, because because I just I knew. Uh, and the other great thing was I got to meet uh, Elliot Smith, and I um, I sat in a small tiny room and talked with Elliot Smith for probably 45 minutes and uh, that was uh that was like a a life-changing awesome moment you know of meeting just a phenomenal artist uh, the, the guy was a musician you know he wasn't a he wasn't a guitar player he wasn't a singer he was a musician and he understood music technically uh inside and out and he was just completely brilliant, and a, you know it was a horrible, horrible loss um, with with what happened to him. But and then after, well, actually, Dave, before Top Hat, I worked at Bogner for a little bit. You remember oh, yeah. at the Making Music place, and then I helped them move into where they're at now in North North Hollywood. Oh wow, um, we, we could have a whole hour discussion just about. Yeah, Bogner. yeah, the Bogner <laughs> thing was really interesting, you know. Um, it it wasn't a good fit, you know, for me, um, especially at, at that time. And mm-hmm. um, but they were very interesting, uh, smart people. I, I you know I, I I enjoyed it. It just wasn't it wasn't where I was at. Um, well, it's a whole know, different whole different vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole different vibe in every way imaginable. <laughs> so, but How what, long were you working at PhD? Probably eight months to a year, I think. It seems longer than that. It seems seems like that lasted 10 years. Yeah, because that was the, 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 the first really amp uh, work. Yeah, that was the first you, real amp you were kind of cutting your teeth on stuff. Yeah, yeah, completely learning yeah. how to to strip wire and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and solder. Yeah. yeah. So that was working with Stephen yeah. Fryatt. Yeah, yeah, yep. 
Okay. And we were right next door to Mike Landau's uh, rehearsal spot. So we would get to see some of the most amazing stuff. And then next door to that was Bob Bradshaw. Yep. Wow. And I remember uh, one day hearing um, like this Pink Floydy riff from the wall over and over again. And I thought, damn, that sounds just like it. And, I, and so I just walked in and looked and it said Pink Floyd everywhere on all the road cases. And I was like, oh, that's why it sounds so much like it. <laughs> Did you meet David yeah. Gilmore? I never, no, I haven't. Um, I uh, I was lucky enough, to, I, I went to uh, the Castellarization show, uh, which at that time was Gibson Amphitheater, and I was good friends with the guy who, who ran that venue, and then he ran Niederlander uh, at the Greek for, for a long time. And uh, he invited me, and the seats were just phenomenal. It was like first row above the floor, um, one of the most amazing concerts I ever saw. And then he brought us back backstage, and we, we were hanging out in Pink Floyd's green room. And uh, I think I kind of made the mistake of talking to Rick Wright, who was just not having it. Mm. And uh, and it just, I mean, it was kind of a very cold response. And at first I got a little, little angry, but then I thought, you know, this guy was a huge freaking rock star before I was even born. He's met a billion people. He just played a show. You're in his green room you're being a dick don't take it personal you know just let him and then so they came up to me and they said hey do you want to meet david and i was like no no i i i i i can't you know i can't i can't do it i can't bring myself to do that uh, and i'm getting a text from maroon five right now oh Try, I, i'm dropping james valentine's name but i'm sorry he's texting me i gotta turn that off uh <laughs> Dave, have you noticed, like, you sort of look a little bit like David Gilmore. Yeah. You're looking more and more like David Gilmore. It's kind of weird, man. People have said that. Yeah. You, you, you could be that. like his, yeah, he did tour Detroit. If I can say, I, I actually think David Gilmore's starting to look more like Dave Friedman. That yeah. could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's starting, yeah. he's actually morphing more into Dave than then because he's really changed a lot in the way that he's looked i think dave you stayed pretty much the same yeah, way yeah. but uh especially with oh, the... my hair used to be less no less. this dave's changed Wait, <laughs> dave did you see that old picture i i found it it's on like instagram floating around oh. mark i think you saw it didn't you i didn't know it's a picture of you and me and keith howland yeah um and I forgot, like I had a freaking beard. I mean, what the hell? I'm like, I'm like 19 years old, and I have a beard. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, Dave had like the long, super long, dark brown hair, and yeah. we all we all looked young and 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 fit. Yeah, <laughs> babies. Those, those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah. Oh. Totally. Speak, speaking of David Gilmore, we got a good question from L. Scott Music, and um, he said maybe we can talk about the recent auction of Gilmore's guitars. Yes, I I saw it. Oh, you did? I went to the uh, yeah, I went to 
uh, the L.A. auction with my buddy Edward Fletcher, uh, great guitarist and, and actor. Um, he, uh, we had so much fun that day. Um, and, and we ran into Bob Hartree and Eric Hartree. Yeah. I mean, uh, of, I don't of know all who people. The, who, who are they? I'm hey, sorry. Old friends of ours, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, Bob, Bob Hartree is freaking amazing guitar player i i love i love listening to him play um but yeah we anyway we uh we went to the christie's auction in beverly hills wow and i mean those guitars were three four feet away so um, which ones because was it were they spread out or were they all there in la yeah they were all on the walls uh, no i mean were they spread out in different parts of the country or were they no, all in la no no they no they only brought uh, probably 10 guitars from the UK mm, okay. uh, to L.A. and then New York. Um, and so, yeah, Blackie was right there. I mm. uh, would not have guessed it would have sold for $4 million, but <laughs> awesome. Um, what would you guess? And, what uh, would you have thought? I would have thought a million, you know. The, yeah. The, the one that really had me intrigued was uh, the the twelve string. I think it. I think it was a D Martin D thirty five twelve string, maybe nineteen seventy one, uh, and that sold for a lot of money. Uh, he used he he wrote the song "Wish You Were Here" on that guitar, and and recorded the song with it. Um, Substantial. I, I was kind of thinking that would that would go for for two million, um, and and I think it got real close, like one point eight or something like that. Don't quote me. Um, and then his old gold top. That uh, I mean, all these years, up until six months ago, I thought the guitar solo on another brick in the wall was a Strat. It was a freaking gold top Les Paul. P90s. I was going to say P90s because it yeah. definitely had that and, single uh, coil tone. Yeah. Um, and and I read something kind of interesting. The, the way they recorded that was the producer wanted it direct through the board. Uh, and so he played it that way. And David was not happy with it. Um, so then they reamped it uh, to 100 watt uh, high watt and the, the, the 412. And they reempt it through that, and then they just blended uh, the two tracks, and that's how he got uh, another brick in the wall. Hmm. Super cool. But I've I've seen Pink Floyd uh, four times. I've seen David Gilmour three times. I've seen uh, Brett Pink Floyd, Australian Pink Floyd, and for anybody listening, I highly recommend. Either of those bands or both of those bands. I saw Britt Brit Floyd too. Yeah, I saw them. They were great. It's absolutely incredible. It just just incredible. Um, and I probably spent more money in my entire life at the Hollywood Bowl for David Gilmour, and I got box seats just below the mixing console. Um, and ironically, a, a good friend of mine uh, was running monitor mix uh, there for, for the tour. And uh, he called me and him and the FOH guy 
uh, were awesome enough to like come out to Matchless and spend a day there. Um, and it was funny because he was like, you can't ask me for tickets. And I'm like, dude, I bought my tickets like freaking six <laughs> months ago. <laughs> and I took out a second mortgage and, and yeah, sold my car to pay for them. But when I was uh, in, when I was in college, I went to this is like around eighty seven. I went to see Floyd uh, in Tampa. Momentary lapse of reason, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, Mike Landau uh, played on that one. On the album? Uh, yeah, Mike Landau played uh, the really cool slick guitar part, uh, the kind of palm muty with delay mm. uh, on one slip. And, and that was just like the that coolest stuff. I, I don't know who, somebody else played the greased part. Um, but apparently David was so involved with the production uh, that he didn't play as much on the album uh, as he probably could have. Um, but he, he had all of the parts all worked out. So, you know, nobody went in there like, you know, coming up with their own stuff. It was all it was all worked out. But, but that was a lot of that album was written by with uh, Bob Ezrin too, right? I don't know. Momentary lapse of reason. Probably. I, I think it was, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, Good but, possibility. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That that album, you know, as a as a Pink Floyd purist, uh, at least for me, I don't know how you felt. Uh, I mean, because I love you know, animals and like, I, I mean, oh, yeah, even yeah. going back to, you know, just or some of the early, even before, like with Sid Barrett, I mean, I, I yeah, love, yeah, is, you know, it's just really cool yeah, stuff. I loved it. I, it felt forced to me, momentary lapse of reason. It almost felt yeah, like, yeah. The, like we have to write Pink Floyd style music. Yeah. 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 But you know what, what's amazing is he, he's a fantastic, uh, rockabilly player. I, I don't know right? if you've ever seen him play rockabilly. No, but yeah, it's like he played it his whole entire life, hmm. just rockabilly. Wow, hmm. yeah, he's super yeah. talented. Yeah, uh, I got to see uh, the the Division Bell. Uh, that was a that better was tour. Like Ninety four, and there was there was one one part of the concert where you know all of the sound and every musician on stage it just completely homogenized and, and it, it just like turned into this, like, like it was like a beast. And that was like goosebumps and hair standing up, you know, just going like, wow, these guys are just so locked. Um, yeah, they, yeah, that was a fantastic show. That's cool. You know, the good thing about the, uh, the auction that I liked, cause I know a lot of people are up in arms like, oh, my God, $4 million for a Strat. Even I was initially. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, what? I don't like that. It was it was to me, it was it's it's uh, it was for charity. So exactly. If, if he, he could get 10 million for, for the guitar right. and, and I, I'm OK with it. Right. You know, I mean, it's it, it I think it was a super amazing and gracious thing that he did amazing yeah uh, to be able to part with i mean he parted with serial number one you know the the white the yeah. white and gold uh strat um whether it's technically really really serial number one nobody will ever know but that's what it's kind of designated as mm -hmm. um 
and and it, it is you know a 55 you know but the, the fact that he was able like he was at a point in his life where he could part with those things i mean some of my guitars like my 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 grosh guitars i, I will probably be buried with them you know <laughs> like yeah there's you, you know, you, you have like a connection with some and you just gravitate towards some in the, in the way they feel, you know, some guitars, they don't speak to me as much, um, you know, and, and if, if it's effort to play, if it's like clunky and thick and hard to play, then I, 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 I can't play them, you know, and there's some people like that. They, you know, like the, the big, thick round necks i i tend to like kind of more the v-neck i i did get to feel the 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 dave have you felt the the frankenstrat neck oh yeah it's it's incredible yeah. it's absolutely freaking incredible you know i mean I, I would not want all of my guitars to feel like that but for what that does like that was one of the freaking coolest necks i've ever felt well, describe it for me what was it well, it's it's just it's kind of thin, but not thin, and uh, it's like almost imagine uh, I, I don't know what you would what you would call it. It's it's sort of flat in the back, um, but it just felt great, you know, like well well broken in. Mm. It 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 wasn't hard to play, right? But. Yeah, and I tried to, you know, play a Van Halen guitar through a Van Halen amp, and it just, all it sounded like was Eddie Van Halen playing me, you know, it just. It was, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, let me guess, it didn't sound like Van Halen. It, was, it wasn't right. <laughs> what, what, what's funny is I, I, I gave, a, I, I gave a, a seminar at a MI about amps and amp building and stuff, like uh, maybe 10 years ago. And at the end, uh, some kid in the audience, he said, can, can, can you make a, a, you know, a, a, an amp sound like Van Halen? And I go, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I can make any amp sound like Eddie Van Halen. The trick is you got to get Eddie Van Halen to play through the amp at that exact time. <laughs> and one guy in the entire crowd just burst out laughing and they, you know he must have been like 55 i mean he he understood perfectly well what i meant and everyone else just had like this deer in the headlight you know look but it's so true i mean dave you know like ed ed'll play a gretsch duo jet and a, a, a tweed deluxe and it's eddie oh, freaking yes. van halen you know, it's, you know, it, it, he doesn't need a, a hundred watt Marshall head and the hot rodded guitar. It's, you know, it, it's, it's him. It, it's his hands. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, yeah. Sound in the hands. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it time and time again where, you know, you've, you've had an amp. It sounds great. Everything's great. Guy comes in and tries it. And and as he's trying it, you're looking at the amp going. Something happened to that. Yeah, please did it stop. Break? Yeah, did it break. I've had I've I've had <laughs> that. I've had that, and I've also had the opposite, where I've played an amp day in day out for years, 
And then somebody like freaking Mark Goldenberg or Tim Pierce or John Jorgensen will will come in and play the amp, and you're just like, oh, my God, that that's what it's supposed to sound like? That's incredible. That's, that sounded 100 billion times better than any time I've ever heard it before. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, shit, these guys are so good. They're so good. It's, they really and, are. And it's beyond just tech yeah it's touch yeah it is yeah it's not just it's not just the notes it's not just the uh the amp or their technique it's the guitar it's everything and their hands i mean these guys are so good just something it's just that magic untouchable something Mm -hmm. mike landau's got it jeff beck has it you know just that eddie van halen Mm -hmm. just that special thing that uh i i you know what i and, and people are probably going to be pissed that, that I say this, but I've had enough rum that, that I can. I, I watched Landau playing Jimi Hendrix, and it was like better than Hendrix. It was so cool, you know. It was right. it was just like growly and just, and he just had this attack, this feel, and you're just like, God, you sleep with that thing under your pillow like mm-hmm. how does that happen how does somebody play hendrix better than hendrix how is that possible and uh just so good yeah i mean i was just completely blown away by that hey we got a question for you from brent yeah. Harmon. question how did phil come up with the matchless chieftain and dc30 i didn't oh okay yeah that would no, have been Mark Sampson originally. That, right? that was uh, totally Mark Sampson. Mark Sampson and Rick Parada were the ones who in, invented that. I just stepped in and and made sure the amps were built the same way. And then, and then once we got over that hurdle of reproving ourselves, um, then then uh, you know I went on to make make some changes and layout and mm-hmm. and parts one of the big things I, i've noticed dave maybe you've noticed too is the the old allen bradley resistors they they're so old now at this point that that most of them have tons of white noise yeah yeah you can't really and, hard to use those anymore yeah and the and the the value is just all over the place you know you take a 100k resistor take five of them and you measure them and you're going to get you know 89k in one 120k in another and and they all have white noise um and uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a fine balance and and it was hard for me to spend you know 23 years building amps with with carbon comps only to be forced to come to the conclusion that uh, they're they just aren't what they what you know what they used to be, you know, Th- those resistors may have been cool 20 years ago because at that time they were 40 years old. Well, they're now 60 years old, right? Yeah, and they're they're dried out. They're mm-hmm. not yeah. So so you have to have a whole new whole new set, right? You got to redo it. Yeah, yeah, but. The, the amps that, that I did design were the Independence, the Phoenix, the Avalon, um, the Nighthawk, 
uh, and uh, I developed the Clubman with reverb, um, the DC-30 with reverb. That that was the hardest one, and that was that was like one of those moments where I was literally driving my car on PCH, and just some. It was like a. It just I I figured it out why I, I was driving. Oh, I know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. But and and I spent a long time prior to that, you know, trying to trying to do it, and then like like things would always affect another thing, and I could not put out an app where something affected something else. And you know, I've I've seen apps where they have like four channels and whatever, and you and you dial in a great sound and clean, but then when you go to the gain, it's totally horrible, and then you got to redial the amp, and then when you go back to the clean and and then that sounds horrible, and you got to go back and redial that. And and I, I didn't want any of that, and I wanted to stick as old school as possible, staying with uh, all point to point and, and everything. And uh, yeah, so so a question for you. I'm so not sure, I designed more. I can't think of. But are you are you like on a day to day basis involved in in the the wiring or you have a staff who, who are doing that? How, how does that work? I, I do have a staff. Um, and yeah, we, we had a, just a terrible, uh, experience a few years back of a woman who had wired for me, uh, for 15 years. She, she passed away at, mm. at the factory. Um, Wait, at the factory? At the factory. Oh. Yeah. Like dropped over dead at the factory? Yeah, yeah. Wow. A heart attack. Yeah. And oh, and we loved her, you know. I mean, she was she was family. You know, I mean That's she tough. she was there day in, day out for sixteen, seventeen years. Wow. Um and uh she I I mean she hand wired uh just wiring only. But she hand wired tons of amps that have been in the hands of very famous, iconic people and mm. famous, famous albums. Um, and you know, she was she was a very big part of the production. Uh, she passed away, and then uh, the only other guy who'd been with us even longer than that, he actually just had to quit, and he had to move back to Arizona to help take care of of his mom um and he was with me for uh 18 years and so we've we brought back another guy uh who worked worked with us for probably 14 years and he's he's been absolutely fantastic he's he's built a lot of really great amps as well for 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 good people um yeah so, and we've gone through a lot, you know, we've been trying to feel it out and, and find the right people who can, who can do the job in a, in a timely manner. And that's, that's a very difficult thing. I was going to say it's, it's, uh, it's a skill to be able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all the, all the prototype stuff I, I build, um, and, uh, it's kind of expensive for me to to be like wiring the amps day in day out. So, um, but when I have to, I do. I mean, I, I dude, I freaking mop the floors. Right. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Literally. Yeah. Exactly. I I 
I turn the lights on in the morning and I turn the lights out at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not one single job in there that I, I haven't had to do. I mean, I've, I've had to be the, the toilet repair man, you know, <laughs> I've, I've had to put the lighting in, you know, I've had to build the benches. I've, I've, I've done it. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll do some and, and some component work and, um, you know, I, I try not to, but. <laughs> Hey, we got a question for Dave, um, Uh-oh. from Rick Hyatt. Uh, can I swap out tubes on a stock Marshall to six V sixes? You actually can if you use JJ six V sixes. You have to rebias it. Yeah, I was going to say about the bias. Yeah, you have to rebias it, but you can do it. Okay. The JJ ones will handle that kind of play voltage, so yeah. And Lionel Hernandez, or uh, Lionel, I'm sorry, I always butcher your name, but thanks for watching, man. Uh, Matchless, <laughs> Matchless needs to reissue the rack preamp. Oh dear God! You want to come and build them? <laughs> <laughs> well that, you know do it do a synergy do a synergy module there were a lot of things back in uh the late 90s that were that were meant to be not expensive but wound up being extremely expensive um and, and that's the trick and i always say like that that's the difference between a good idea and a great idea Good ideas are really freaking expensive, and uh, in the late '90s there were a lot of good ideas, mm-hmm. um, and and when that happens, you, you you lose money and you know shit starts going sideways. Mm-hmm. But those those rack mounts are are pretty darn involved. There there's a lot going on in there, and. Uh, we were using opticouplers uh, for the channel switching, and somehow a box of a thousand of those opticouplers just wound up missing, along, along with a lot of other stuff. At the yeah. Oh, Al. I'm not saying any names, but that. The old. I, know, I haven't thought about him in ten million years until right now. <laughs> there was there. I mean, entire entire DC thirties that I built would wind up missing by the next morning. Oh my god! You know, and it was like a perfect storm of different people. You know, you definitely can't point the finger at one person with that place. Um, but those were like really dark, kind of bad times, bad bad vibe, and hmm. um, late nineties was was not was not a great scene. Yeah, interesting. It would, you know, just just out of curiosity though, it would be cool to have a a matchless style preamp, uh, like Synergy. I don't know. Have you seen the Synergy modules? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, be cool. Oh no, I I, I thought about it, but I mean, how am I gonna compete with some of the stuff that's that's like already out there you know that's that's good stuff bruce egnator makes great stuff um you know mm-hmm. so I, I i don't know that's a territory i totally want to get into 
gotcha. um, and right now my plate is so full with everything I'm doing and uh, you know releasing Laurel Canyon um, and then all the other spinoffs of that uh, yeah I mean that, that that's a lot of like time and then also like I I have to do all of the uh, repair work and all of the tech support and uh, you know all the all the teaching there hmm. uh, as well so you know my my time is limited I mean I, I worked uh, last month I had to I worked 19 days in a row okay and at the end of that I nearly collapsed and <laughs> and uh, it, I just I didn't see a dent, you know. I just, all, all, all I saw what happened is my my kids and my wife like missed me, right. you know. I did, you know. It it was like it was still as as it is, you know. I mean, yeah, I got a lot of stuff accomplished, but you right. know. And then and then set, setting up the new factory, you know. We we were in one building uh, on Pontius Street for. 18 years and we just moved a block and a half up the street and that was a that was a lot of a lot of stuff we we had to get over and pack up and then get back up and running so um but we're all settled in now and and i love our our new location i i i could not be happier with it it's perfectly set out dave please come by yeah, if I ever make it over to the west side, I work six I days a week here. <laughs> we're, we're, we're like a mile away from the village. Still. Yeah. It's hard I, to get over that way. I, I, I actually, I, the, uh, I, I got to meet uh, Eric Clapton at the village. And it, it was, it, it, what was funny was uh, on the, the ticket, I was I was delivering Lawrence Juber's nylon classical guitar, and on the ticket it said Rush, and I was like, "Oh my God, I am going to get to meet Alex Lifeson. This is like the greatest <laughs> moment of my life." Right. And so I pick up the guitar from Lawrence, and Lawrence is like, "You have to take care of this guitar. Like, you know, th th it's very special." And so I look at it and it just looked like a beat up old nylon guitar. It didn't look like anything special. And it turned out to be like, you know, it came with insurance papers. And I mean, it was from like the, I think, 1700s from Spain. And I mean, it was like this phenomenal guitar. And so I bring it to the village and uh, and I go to the guy at the counter and, and I go, are, are they here? And he goes, who? And I go, Rush. And he goes, oh, no, I, I, I'm sorry. It's not Rush. I'm like, what do you mean it's not Rush? It says Rush on the ticket. And he goes, no, dude, I, I thought the same thing. It, it's not Rush. Oh, no, but it, it's better. It's better. It's Eric Clapton. <laughs> I go, Eric Clapton? Then why why does it say Rush? And he goes, because he's doing this movie. And he's the doing Rush a song tour. for a movie called Rush. Right. And the song he's playing is called Tears in Heaven. And I delivered the acoustic nylon guitar to Eric Clapton for him to record Tears in Heaven with. Wow, that's killer. It's like, doo doo. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. iconic. At the village. And then he, yeah. uh, then he did the MTV Unplugged. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's funny. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. I think there was a question. Oh, uh, let's talk about the matchless version of a twin. Es two ninety five said. I don't you, know. What... You mean the Fender twin? I guess so. I guess that's what he means. Okay. I I can certainly make one of those. Hmm. If 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 you're in the market of something like that, then uh, send me an email. Phil at matchlessamplifiers.com, P-H-I-L. I I am developing 6L6 uh, models as well. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, Let's see. Someone asked, who's Elliot Smith? I wasn't sure either. Oh, God. Oh, uh, Elliot Smith... uh, Singer, songwriter, guitarist, musician, um, definitely look him up. Uh, um, he, uh, he had several albums, uh, XO. If, if, if you want like a really great definitive album, Elliot Smith, XO, uh, figure eight is another fantastic album. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, uh, Rob Schnoff and I think Tom Rothrock maybe uh, or Bob they they did a posthumous album uh, called Basement on a Hill uh, and they were able to piece together a lot of his work and and what he was doing and they made a full record and what happened and it's to him absolutely incredible what's that what happened to him uh it's it's kind of a convoluted story no one's actually really super certain uh as to the exact details Mm -hmm. but the theory the police report was uh he was he was supposed to uh go to drug rehab in in palm uh springs and my uh, old friend uh, Fred Wallachy from Westwood Music was actually going to bring Elliot to uh, to to Palm Springs to to get cleaned up. He had a bad heroin problem, and um, and then I, he got into a fight with his girlfriend the day he was supposed to leave, and uh, a, a knife wound up in his chest. So yeah. however that happened, <laughs> however that happened, uh, that happened. Wow. Um, Too bad. And Fred had told me he was pissed because uh, he had all of Elliot's stuff in his car, and he he didn't show up. He just wasn't there that day, and he kept calling, and um, and then he found out later that that that's what happened. Uh, but he was a just brilliant songwriter and singer. And one of my favorite things is uh, he, he would do tons of layers of harmonies on his vocals. Um, and, and it's just, just stunning stuff. A uh, little bit on the melancholy side, um, but uh, I, I really super recommend uh, Elliot Smith, uh, everybody. Cool. Um we have a question from Rippin' Lips. Rippin' Lips. 
All right. Dave, what Mick kind Jagger? of... Jagger? Possibly. Uh, <laughs> Dave, what kind of preamp tubes did Ed use in his 68? I don't know if you would know that. Originally? Probably whatever was laying around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, later, it was Chinese preamp tubes that we put in them. Mm, okay. Probably from... Uh sometime in the 80s on right uh yeah. bruce egnator is in the chat watching the show hi bruce what's up bruce how are you i love bruce egnator he is saw bruce he Did is you? the nicest nicest guy we, visit, we visited him in detroit on monday oh good good to hear yeah he I was missing sweetwater his little shot nice yeah we we missed him at sweetwater would have been cool to see him um uh, yeah, the Bruce, weather was great, Bruce. You see, you did miss out on that one. <laughs> yeah, the weather was fantastic. I'm glad that I brought that with me, Dave. It was all yes. because of me. Just so it's, yeah. it's all you, yes. It's all me. We're, we're happy you came then. <laughs> Thank you. And please come again next year because we want to bring that weather again. Yes, all right. No problem. But if you don't bring it next year, you're in deep, deep shit. <laughs> <laughs> I also helped break, well, I helped, I, helped, I helped break down stuff, so that was also good. I thought that you would have hey, said you guys. That. You guys got to see uh, Eric Johnson there, right? That was super uh, cool. Second time in a, well, second time, uh, yeah, he was there last year, too. Oh, was he? I mean, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's so good. Gro growing up in a suburb of Houston, Texas, it, like Eric Johnson, even back then, was he was like a god. Like the guy was just such a phenomenal player yeah. back then. I don't even want to know how young he was, you know. But he's, he's talk about tone and fingers. Yeah. 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 Absolutely incredible. And then, and, and, you know, watching him like switch on the pedal board while he's playing all that completely complicated. I would like fall over. I'd lose my balance. Like, yeah, he's a tap dancer. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. By the way, Bruce. I don't know how he does it. Bruce said uh, before I was just going to mention, he said, we have Glen Fry Avenue in Royal Oak, Michigan, where he came from. Hey, nice. So that's cool. Well, well deserved. Yeah. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. Glen Fry. Yeah. It's awesome. His harmonies were amazing. You know, even like when uh, you just hearing him and Timothy B. Schmidt. Uh, singing harmonies on other people's stuff. Mm. It, it's it's just angelic, you know. Yeah, I good, love it. Good stuff. Someone said, "What's the deal with VHT?" Tyson Rinker. Uh, well, VHT was. Tell me if I'm wrong, but VHT was sold, uh, and now they're on. It's a uh, no. Was the V? It's an overseas brand now, right? No, VHT wasn't sold. Well, <laughs> it's. Uh... The name was sold. Okay, sort of. Yes. Um, that's something. It's complicated. He explained it on our on our. Uh, he did. He explained it on our show. Yeah. So, if someone wants to know, go back and watch that show. Yeah, watch the the Stephen Fryatt show, and he definitely explained it. So, um, yeah, and um. So ES295 says, what's new on the horizon for Matchless? Well, you definitely talked about the new 6v6 model. Yeah. What's it called again? Laurel Canyon. Laurel Canyon. Yeah, that's a great name. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, yeah, the uh, bigger 6v6s uh, and then um, uh, the 6L6s I'm, I'm working on right now. 
So, but I can, I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist and, and I, I don't always like, it takes me a while to release stuff. Cause I, I want to be like really happy with it and, and, and know that it's perfect. Um, does that ever really happen? Come on. Well, <laughs> no. Is it and ever yeah, so perfect and are you yeah, ever really happy? At, no, I'm, I, well, I don't with with Laurel Canyon, I I was actually kind of yeah, I was kind of surprised by that one, um, but uh, yeah, sometimes you, you you tweak a lot. I I mean I I gotta say, um, uh, again, J- James Valentine with with Maroon Five, he played a really big role in in the development of the Independence, um, because he. Uh, He's a one. He's a fantastic guitarist. Mm. Um, anything you ever hear with Maroon Five I, is is one sixteenth the guy's true talent. Phenomenal jazz player. You know, chord melody for days. The guy he can play like Bill Frizzell. Mm. And uh, he's he's got a very complicated rack, um, and he uses two Independence heads and I think a pair of John Sir, 100 watts as well. Um, and he, he uses them all for like different things. But um, James really was thoughtful uh, about um, the amp and, and minor, tiny little tweaks here and there that I, I think without him, uh, that amp kind of wouldn't be as, as great as, as it is. Um, and that amp, uh, the independence, uh, ironically, I was totally going for if, if David Gilmore wanted one amp and it was going to cover everything, it would be that amp. That was, that was what I was shooting for. Um, when, when I, when I built that, um, I've never got him to try one out as far as I know. Uh, Jeff Beck played one, and and he used it uh, at a session at Nightbird, um, and then I was fortunate enough to get to meet him uh, backstage at the Greek, um, and he could not have been nicer. I mean, I was just you know s- stuttering the whole time. Hmm. It was like Jeff Beck, and he's uh, amazing. God, he was such a sweet guy. Uh, invited me to go back to, to the, to the party at the hotel. And at that time it was like one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I've got to take the kids to school. I, I can't, I can't, oh my God, it's freaking Jeff. Oh no, maybe the kids can stay home. Oh man, you know, I, it was that, like I, that. There, there would be, there'd be no question. The kids would oh, stay home. God. Yeah. Then there'd so be no doubt. Yeah. She would have been, she would have, yeah, it would not have been good. <laughs> But, I uh, think for me, I would have been. It's Jeff Beck. I was in it. tears, like like you know, Jeff Beck invited you to to go hang. You, you know, asked for like, forgiveness, good, right? My my wife would be like, "Yeah, that's okay. Kids are stale." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's well, funny. Shit. Now, like the the kids are in uh, soon to be eleventh grade and seventh grade, so yeah, it's just like yeah, you whatever. Yeah, you got to do. Home. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, hanging out with Jeff Beck. Yeah, uh, Dan Pfeiffer. Uh, he said he's coming down 
towards me. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, shoot me an email if you want, uh, if you're around down here. Um, let's see. I'm looking at questions. Um, oh, this was uh, from Craig. He says, Dave, you told a Facebook friend to run his BE at 115 volts. He said it made it bigger feel and tone improvement than anything else. More open, harmonic, dynamic, swishy. Can you speak on this? Thanks. Well, he was asking essentially something. I think I think the person was asking about the brown box, uh, wow. little box thing. And, uh, you know, often there's a lot of places that have, we don't in L.A., but a lot of places have high uh, wall voltage. Yeah. Uh, like really high, like mm-hmm. 126 or something. 125, yeah. And, you know, and really the amps are meant to be run at 120 or lower. Um, at least that's what the transformer spec for 120. Uh, I find that when they run higher, they just sound kind of brittle yeah. and just not, not, not very nice. And so, but what I have found is that, you know, a little under the 120 mark also sounds great. Uh, so, I mean, it's not like you're very acting your amp down to 90 volts or something, Mm -hmm. but you are just, just, just giving it a little bit, a little drop, a few volts. And there's often like a sweet spot right there around 115, 16 or something like that. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's just a little nicer than the 120, to be honest. Yeah. That's what the the, the first time I, I saw that was Rusty Anderson came, came to the factory. Um, and he he wanted to play uh, some DC 30s. We did like four of them, and he brought his own Variac, uh-huh. and he had his own little sweet spot, and it was super low. I mean, I, I it must have been like 108, yeah. uh, but it sounded great, you know. Yeah, I run my that B- was a- Yeah, I have my BE set at 115 volts with the Variac. And because uh, my wall voltage I measured is 123 out the wall, so not super high, but I figured you know what, why not? And it sounds high enough to make a difference, really. Yeah, yeah, and it's also an it varied too. Like during the day, like I could I could see like it was, you know, jumping oh, around. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's so. why the little brown box is really cool because uh, you know, it tells you the wall voltage coming in, and then you can you know. Re- match the input and then reduce it by x percentage mm. it's quite cool yeah what, what's funny is i'll, I'll get a uh, uh, tech support uh if people call and uh and they're telling me like their b plus voltage is you know way low and i'm like well what what's your ac voltage and they're always well it's 120 idiot this is america uh. it, you know it's like that and it's like, and they measure well, it. Oh, it's one fifteen. <laughs> well, did you take a multimeter and and then? Oh shit, I'm getting 111 volts. I'm like, yeah, there you, go. you know, bump it up to 120 and then tell me what your B plus voltage is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, like whenever you're setting your bias on your amps, I always tell people that you you have to have a variac and you got to make sure that you know your wall voltage is at 120 when you're actually setting this bias. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, oh, shit. I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, you know, but when I biased my BE, it was on the, I didn't use the Variac at that point. Well, on some of our amps, we kind of push the filter cap sort of to the limit 
Uh, so if you're going over on the voltage, you're, you're going to have a, a quicker lifespan, you know, drop down on those. Yeah. They're going to die yeah. faster. Yeah. Um, Dr. Me about filter caps. <laughs> Why is that? Oh, uh, this had a bad batch of them. And... Oh, that's fun. Were, were they, were they Samwa? Uh, no, they were something from ARS. Ah, oh, really? And wherever they came from, and uh, yeah, they were fine for years and years and years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, not fine anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, that happens. They just fail. They just start failing now. I, I, I can't tell you how many different amp builders throughout the years have called me and said, "Hey, are are, are you having problems with JJ's?" And the answer is literally always, "What month is it?" You know, <laughs> you having problems with JJ's? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, can't, can't use those for EL thirty fours anymore. That's done. What's funny is is like they always act so surprised too. Yeah, or well, I you know I get sets of them. They're perfectly fine. Yeah, but you don't have to get lots of sets of thousands, them. Yeah. <laughs> thousands. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and and. Uh, and let me tell you how many of those I had to replace also. <laughs> yeah, and you've got if you you've got two grand tied up in tubes sitting there for like the next, you know, month or so. And then the JJ preamp tubes are awfully fun cuz some they just up and just decide to stop working one day. Oh, I know. I know. It's like uh, we work perfectly fine, perfectly fine. Oh, no, not now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Luckily we don't use we only use them in one one spot, so <laughs> Not too bad. Well, Chinese tubes, preamp tubes, especially in our amps, sound horrible. I I hear them in Bogner's, Marshall's, um, you know, high gain EL34, and they sound fantastic. Matchless, they they just sound terrible. So what are you using? Right now, I, I have to use freaking JJ's. So... The, uh, I use JJ's, the Electro Harmonics EF86 is actually a really good EF86. Uh, and uh, the Chinese 5AR4 is, is a pretty de decent rectifier tube as, mm -hmm. as far as reliability goes, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, as a manufacturer, you have to count in cost, reliability, and sound. And... Um, we you use know, JJ EL84s and the EL84 amps. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, we have to yeah. because uh, there is no other EL34 built that will handle what we're yeah, trying. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not hitting it quite as hard as is probably what what you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scott but, uh, MacArthur says, uh, "Huge Matchless fan and own quite a few. One of my favorite amplifier companies." Thank you. Cool, Scott. Thank you, Scott MacArthur. And. Uh, Sean Tubbs says, I'm a sucker for 6v6 amps. Sean, call me. You know where you, you know where to go there? You know uh, where to go. Spencer I see K. A video in the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Spencer K. Poon, interesting name. Sounds like it could yes. be a could be a could be a Friedman amplifier. That <laughs> sounds like a Bart Simpson phone call. Spencer K. Poon. I'm looking for Spencer K. <laughs> he says uh best gear show on the net hey thank you um 
And Sean says, I remember picking up a two four by twelve open back cabs and my chieftains from Mark. Nice. What happened to uh, Mark? Where's what's he doing? I don't know. Uh, we did an amp show together. We sat next to each other on a, a panel, uh, some amp forum, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I that was the last time I, I heard from him. You know, he was he was a, a super sweet guy, and you know, I, I worked with him for years. Um, cool. I mean, I. I, yeah, I was the guy at, at the factory that Mark would walk out of his room and he'd say, I want to make a new amp. I want it to have an EF-86. I want it to have tremolo and I want it to have reverb. Come get me when you get stuck. And he'd walk back to his room and I would I would build it. Oh, cool. So, I mean, it was it was a it was it was very cool working with him. He um, uh he was a brilliant uh, amp builder or, or des- I guess, designer. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I miss Rick Parada a lot, too. Uh, he's with Royer Microphones now. He um, he really took me under his wing um, back in the very early, early days and, and it spent a lot of time with me. Um, Mark was just more like, learn it, you know, and so I did. I, you know, I had to sort of trial by fire kind of, kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, I see a bunch of people came from uh, Johnny Bean's show. So Johnny, thanks for uh, sending people over our way. Appreciate it. You guys check out Johnny Bean's show if you haven't. Um, uh, so thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh Rippin' Lips says, I get my tubes straight from Bob at Eurotubes. They have a six-month warranty. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people can get individual sets of tubes, but it's much different when they Yeah. Have, yeah, know. but how like how much is he buying if he if he's buying like a hundred at a time? Yeah. I mean, we have like minimums where we have to we have to buy, you know, a couple of hundred tubes. Yeah. Um, I know that uh we're at the 90 minute mark and i know dave you had a run right um it's good i do okay i do i have to meet someone somewhere no problem no <laughs> <laughs> uh dave, so, we, we we gotta hang again we'll do it part two we'll do a part way, two way too long yeah yeah absolutely dave, uh, you, you you came to our party in the south bay yeah how many years ago was that i know that was for me that was four houses ago for me that seems like a couple years ago (laughs) it's probably more like 10 years ago yeah it was it was over uh hey what's up caleb uh he he says hey um so phil tell us where people can see your amplifiers and buy your amplifiers and uh you know i know you know you want want to send everybody to go buy your amps uh go to my website uh mashlessamplifiers.com and um you know you can look up our our dealer list uh i have a large network uh all throughout the u.s uh uk um people in the uk if you're listening we we want to expand our stores there um you know, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we we have dealers all over the place. So 
just you know look look us up online and uh, and Facebook and all that good stuff and uh, or or just uh, send us an email. I mean, I'm always I'm always answering the phone. Uh, it's me and Christine. Christine uh, does all of the the business side of Matchless, which is um, I would say is ninety percent of of having a successful company is is that side of it uh the other 10 percent is just trying to make a great product and um so you know you you can always reach us call us email email is easier but um you know we're we're available always cool cool yeah and, well, and people are welcome to come to the factory too Oh, sweet. Well, next time I come to L.A., I'd love to check it out. Um, yeah. And uh, the Laurel Canyon, you guys check out that amp coming out. Uh, that sounds really cool. Um, our next guest is um, John Gundry from Throwback uh, and the Throwback pickups and pedals and stuff like that. So, And that is going to be July 12th actually at 8 p.m. So, Dave, that's going to be 5 p.m. your time on July 12th. Okay. All right. Remind me, sir. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I squared it away already with you, but just to, just to remind you, but I'll send you the, the, yeah, yeah. the note. Um, so, guys, thanks for joining. Phil, so awesome to have you on the show, man. Thank uh, you so thank much. Thank you. You know, matchless amplifiers, uh, you know, iconic amplifiers. Uh, they're super high-end stuff. Check them out. Um, and yeah, absolutely great amps. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, again, thank you so much for, for joining us, man. Everybody have a great weekend and we'll, we'll be back. We'll see you soon. Take care. And Phil, just hang on one second while, while I hang up. Will do.